The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's G-Mac for Loren McNabb and a vacationing Brett McGarry who slipped into the studio for just a, a very short period of time today. We're talking World Radio Day. We're talking small towns. You sharing with us why you live where you live or maybe where you grew up. And we were also talking about COVID-19 masks and the new system the province has created to let you know where the hot spots are. That and much else. The start on demand begins right now. Let's get right down to business. Happy World Radio Day. I dug up kind of a funky little sound effect here. Hopefully you don't do too much of this. Hopefully you keep it locked here with us here on The Start on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you until 10 o'clock. I was seeing lightning on the way in this morning. Looked to be from your direction. I any didn't lightning see at all? South of the city. Did no. you get any rain overnight? We got a little bit in NK. <laughs> Good question. I can't tell you how many times I don't know the answer to that. I listened to a rain noise sound machine often at night and so I hear rain every night but it really is effective it blocks out a lot of the sound and then when I left this morning everything looked dry uh, I went straight from the garage to the driveway like I I, <laughs> I don't know it's all a blur at 3 30 in the morning did you get rain thunder lightning where you were 204 780 yeah or maybe uh oh, you, you have to actually check with Environment Canada to find out <laughs> if you got any rain. And I uh, want to thank you for taking some time, spending some time with us this morning, your comments on what we're discussing or maybe things that you're seeing in the community that we're not discussing. Always welcome 204-780-6868. But uh, I think we'll start with the masti- massive shift in policy uh, with regards to public health and schools yesterday, Loren. Well, it was a week ago. Greg, that I think we sat here in studio and talked about the the province putting out its education plan. And we had said, and you had said, as long as I can keep the confidence that the government officials will be able to react, adapt, pivot, change if necessary, then I will continue to listen to what they're saying and have hope that we will get a handle on this. So I guess the pushback or the questions from parents was enough that the province yesterday said, look, We heard you. And the premier said thousands and thousands, I believe is his quote, thousands and thousands of Manitobans weighed in on the mask question. So we'll get more into this at 637, but masks will be mandatory in kids 10 and up or grades four and up as long as they can't physically distance. There's, so there's still a caveat there. So it's not, you know, there's still room for a school to say, well, they're spaced out properly. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I think that gray area will be problematic because then, so what about from the bus to their classroom? How spaced out will they be in the hallway or what have you? Um, in different settings, they might be in one room, they're physically distanced, but in the other, they're not. So now you got to put the mask back on depending which classroom you you're walking into. Are you entering a mask zone? So I, I feel like most kids, student schools will just say, look, grade four and up, you're wearing a, you're wearing a mask, right? Like this is, this is what we're doing. But it, it, beyond this, I do want to ask this question this morning. Then, if this is what we're doing, when are we going to say 
in businesses where two meters or in workspaces where two meter physical distancing is not practical, you also need to wear a mask. Because if we're so worried about this for our kids, aren't we equally worried about this for ourselves and or our co-workers? See, and I'm viewing it from the flip side. I'm viewing it as though based on what we're doing here at our workplace, I'm assuming everybody's doing what we're doing here. I know lots of people uh, that work where there are very few people in the office. And so that two meter rule is understood. That's exactly what people are practicing. That's what I believe people are aiming towards. And so why the flip side? And that's been my concern from the get go is the fact that it's felt like do two meters if you can. And I feel as though businesses Restaurants are forced to do it. And if they can't do it, what do they do? They have to put up a plexiglass shield. There are all these hard and fast rules everywhere else, it feels. And even though the province has, I won't say capitulated, but pivoted on the mask question for kids in schools, it still feels as though there's more room to breathe in that realm than there is for businesses, even though businesses are taking upon themselves and we mentioned Walmart several times. There are other businesses that are saying we were at Urban Barn the other day. You have to have a mask in order to enter that store. But here's so so there's so many things here. There's so many gray areas with all this, which I think is what you're pointing That's out. That's the problem. The problem is still a gray for the schools. But we're not saying here, you know, one thing I do not want to do. I said last week that I thought they should mandate masks just to make it easier as a parent to say, no, the rule is, buddy, put your mask on, go to school, wear it. But then if it's different per classroom to classroom or school to school, that's going to be problematic. So, But I'm not complaining about the mandating it. Just let's get some guidelines and I want to hear from our school divisions in terms of how they're going to handle it or our school, specific school. Then next to that, you're talking about businesses have all these requirements, but they don't. I've I've gone grocery shopping in a number of spots where two meters physical distancing isn't possible. Nobody's following the arrows properly, well, but we're still not wearing masks. And so that's my, that's part of my problem too. It's all very like mask on, mask off, mask on, but mask the, off. But the signs are clear. The signs give, are clear, but nobody's doing it. Two meters. Well, how do you enforce that? Do you have people? You can't. That's what I'm saying. So therefore the mask has to be Understood. part of the equation if it's increasingly part of the equation. So we'll have plenty more to get onto this at 637. And of course, the province's pandemic plan, which is going to give more information to Manitobans, which is what all of you have been clamoring for too. More information. And then Greg, we also want to talk at seven o'clock about <laughs> something that I can only describe as a horror upon horrors. A video shared by our colleague, Heather Steele, about a spider. You know, when you shared this with me, there is some great cinematic work taking place here. <laughs> Heather really knows how to build up to a story. She, she, Because you shared this, right, on your social media? I've got the photo on my social media page of this spider that she spotted uh, in her neck of the woods. And then I'm just about to add the photo uh, momentarily, or the sorry, rather, the video momentarily. Because it's got a good dramatic effect to Very it. Very dramatic effect. But this is a big honking spider. Yes. And you Hairy, said... slimy, yep. out of the Amazon spider. Yeah, and that was the point, is that you don't necessarily associate Manitoba with these great big arachnids. Right. And so we were discussing before we came on the air the idea, are there more of them around Are they bigger than ever before, or is it just because we're spending so much time at home that we're noticing them? We've heard that myth 
that le- urban legend, that belief that we're never more than about, what is it, three meters or six feet away from a spider, no matter what, and that we eat a certain amount of spiders in our sleep over our <laughs> lifetime. There are all those uh, well, if spider you, If you swallowed stories. this spider, you'd choke. But I hear what you're saying. So <laughs> this spider would kill you because you just wouldn't be able to physically swallow it, not because it's poisonous. So at 7.07, our friend Taz Stewart from Poolins <laughs> Pest Control will join us to tell us what the heck we're looking at here. But more than that, spider calls are up. They're getting a growing number of when Winnipeggers calling in about spiders. So if you have any creepy crawly photos you'd like to share with us, 780-6868. My Twitter account is at McNab on Global. I've shared it there and I will try to get it up on Instagram as well. And then we'll uh, talk our favorite creature at 707. World Radio Day. We'll discuss that. What does radio mean to you as a listener? We want to hear from you on that. We are so privileged to do what we do each and every day. And at 645, we'll talk about our love affair with radio before we got into it. What drew it, drew us to it? And what is it that uh, still has you marveling about radio? Uh, The connection that we have with you as listeners is, like I say, such a privilege. Uh, But that is sort of the catchphrase in the radio world, right? That constant companion, which is something that you can't necessarily get from other forms of media. It's Mackling, McNabb, Moore, Braun, Forche, having coffee, talking on this World Radio Day and uh, Jeff Braun, as a civilian, what does radio mean to you? we got to push aside the fact that we work in radio, so it's obviously special to us in the first place. But yeah. before you were in radio, what made it special to you? Yeah, I don't want to toot our own horn too much. Uh, for me, on the music side of radio, you know, I'm a rock and roll guy, and for whatever reason, there's just that something magical about it where... Your favorite song sounds so much better on a radio station than it does, you know, coming out of your phone or a CD or whatever else you used to listen to music on. There's just something about when your song comes on the radio, when you're not expecting it, that that there's just something about that feeling that you just can't be beat anywhere else. I think that is kind of the feeling that you get. And radio kind of transports you no matter where you are. You could be in your car. Uh, as you mentioned, you could be in the garage cleaning up, whatever you're doing. And it takes you somewhere else. And I think that, that for me, what I've always loved about it, particularly because I grew up on a farm, is if you didn't have the radio, the, the hours of boredom of driving places or getting to and from A to B to C or even just in the field, like you just would have, oh, my, I can't even imagine what... Um, everybody would have done and so it, it takes it, it it helps pass the time you you learn something from it and again like it really if someone's doing their job well the pictures that's painted in radio kelly i think particularly with play-by-play i used to listen to a ton of week kings games growing up on the am radio uh driving my old dodge diplomat and that's the key to it kelly yeah, I, I grew up in an era, guys, where you know, radio was the main contact to the outside world. We lived in a remote part of BC, so we didn't have uh, TV, we didn't have newspapers, and you you were able to get radio on the car radio. And I, I have such great memories of, you know, we had to go tw- 28 miles from where we lived to Princeton uh, every day to go to school, and just hearing uh, the pop hits you know, uh, to serve with love, Lulu, and all the rest of it, uh, you know, uh, 
those, those are memories of a childhood that, that I'll, I'll never, ever forget. And, of course, as I grew a little bit older and we moved into civilization, then uh, I was like Greg. I uh, packed my transistor radio to bed every night uh, to listen to hockey play-by-play as well. And, uh, and that's where I, I grew my love for the industry and, and for what I would eventually become. Oh, boy. You know, and I wrote this down yesterday. Because for me, it was the radio was able to take me places that I wanted to be, places that I could never imagine going. And typically that was around the Winnipeg Jets and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And so when the Jets went to the Izvestia tournament and when they played exhibition games in Finland and played the Soviet national team in Tokyo, CGOB took me there, even though I could never, ever imagine going. I could imagine being there. I could imagine being in the, in the arena or in the stadium, whether the arena and the stadium were eight blocks from where I lived or halfway around the world. And that's the, for me, has always been that magic of radio. What about for you, Jeff Forche? Entertainment. Just, you know, having some good laughs and uh, when I was working at the pizza shop, it's just, you know, you get to have those laughs. You get to have that entertainment while you're working. You know, you don't have to watch something. You just listen and do your job. You know, Jeff, I want to go back to something you said about listening to the radio. I can listen to songs that I love on my iPhone, like you said, but there's something special about knowing that there are hundreds or thousands of people listening to it at the same time, that shared experience. Absolutely. And one of my favorite games is sometimes, you know, you'll pull up to a red light and then someone in the car beside mm-hmm. you, you can see them singing out loud. Yes. And then you quickly flip through the radio stations to yes. try and find out what song they're listening to. Yes. And that, that joy you get when you hit, you're like, there it is. That's the song I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. baby. That now we're all singing good. Panama by Van <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the radio's reading your mind. This text message from Mike. Good morning, guys. When I was 14 or so, 1975, while living in New Brunswick, I would listen to my small transistor radio placed under my pillow so my parents would know what I, that I wasn't sleeping. We had a local AM station and would broadcast as it happens, a CBC standard. It took me away from my small protected world and let me learn all sorts of things. Such a memory. That's from Mike. And I can remember running my way through the dial, trying to find radio stations in the United States in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. living in Brandon. KOA out of Denver was one you could get, WLS in Chicago. And then there was a station out of Omaha you could get as well as soon as the sun went down and CGOB and KY58 at the time, the power would go down and then the American stations would would flood the the skies. Radio, we're talking, of course, because it's world radio day or is it national radio day it's world radio day Day. so we're honoring of course our profession but also some of our memories of radio and as you mentioned it it takes you through different communities right and you get the personality of that town or the community if they're lucky or fortunate enough to have their local station because you get the flavor of where you are at the moment and so in honor of that this week for our small town salute if you grew up in a small town if you're from a small town tell us what you love about your small town send us a text 780-6868. And we're going to share your texts uh, and some of your favorite things about the place you either live or grew up in. I'm from a small town. Many of us are. And uh, I think I probably talk about it daily. So please let us know. 780-6868. We'll read your texts at 737. But we start this hour with spiders and 
Um, we asked for your text messages and your pictures at 780-6868. Loren McNabb, are you regretting yes. that request? Oh, every, every 30 seconds <gasps> comes out of my mouth because I shared on Twitter at McNabb on Global a photo and email, a video from a colleague who had a spider in her home. And I said, this can't be Winnipeg. And so we started talking about that because more and more of you are seeing these huge spiders on your decks, your backyards or at the lakes. We're getting a ton of feedback on our text line. It's almost too much for me. But we wanted to ask the experts the questions about these spiders. And so for that, we go to uh, our friend Taz Stewart from Poolin's Pest Control. Good morning, Taz. Good morning. You guys are funny as heck, I tell you. Oh, I don't know. I'm feeling like there's a spider. Every two seconds, I'm looking to make sure there's not a spider behind me, Taz. But what we're talking about here, I sent you a photo. So several inches long, big, long, hairy legs, a bigger body than I've seen in most. Some of them have some sort of spots in them. I use the word that they have this Amazon look to them, but they're right here in Winnipeg and in and around our lakes. What spider am I talking about? What is this thing? Well, there's a whole bunch of large orb weaver spiders, and they're actually pregnant. So they're full of eggs, and that's why they're so large looking. So they are scary looking, number one. Lots of people don't like them, but they're actually nice beneficial insects. So don't squish them, don't pop them, don't burn them. <laughs> Other miscellaneous things that people do with them. But uh, of course, people don't like them on their house. I've been to a place where it blow you out of blow you out of the water. The entire back wall was covered in webbing, like it was awesome to see. I've got pictures of it. I love how you say awesome. I just wanted to follow up on something before we get into the good of these spiders. So they're everywhere right now and you said they're all pregnant. So is this just the time of year for most of these orb spiders? Yeah, the the weavers, um, they... They're very noticeable. Everyone sees those webs. So we had a little bit of rain last night. If you go look out in your deck right now, you probably see a whole bunch of webbing around them, and they like to sit there. They're sitting in the middle. They're big and scary looking, but they're eating those insects. They're eating those mosquitoes. They're eating those biting midges. They're eating things that people don't like. So they're they're beneficial. Just think about how many more we're going to have next year. Maybe we'll see how they overwinter. Okay, so Taz, and we will get into the benefits, but are there more of these spiders around? Or one of the uh, hypotheses we had was the idea that we're spending far more time at home, more time outside on our decks than we normally do. The weather's been spectacular. Uh, what, what's, what's the truth here? So looking at our data, um, over the past couple of years, we've had, you know, over over 100 calls for treatments for spiders, and we're already almost at that number already. So, yes, I agree with that hypothesis of people are at home. They're going, hey, what's in my backyard? Oh, oh, there's more of these than normal, just like ticks, just like other bad little things out there. Uh, people are in a whole different world. The best, best way to say it, it's a whole different world now, and people are noticing these things, and uh, there's it could be a normal trend that we're seeing more. There's more insects for them to be out there, but... Uh, at the end of the day, they're a beneficial organism. I don't like killing them, but it is part of our job to do that because some people don't like them at all. Key to point out, and, and I may have misspoke earlier, the, the video I shared on Twitter was in a person's backyard. And so they're not in homes. They, they live in the decks in the backyards. They're not getting into, for the most part, our spaces, correct? Please yeah, tell me right. correct. They prefer, <laughs> they prefer to be outside or it might be in you know, your uh, soffit fascia, under the decks, uh, docks, uh, dock spiders. Lots of people are fearful of them because they look scary. They're mean. They're an arachnid. They're not an insect. They got eight legs, not six, and they're cool. When they catch a, uh, an insect, they 
bite them instantly. And then if they're hungry right at that time, they inject their clichery or pardon me, their, like their teeth into the insect and then slowly suck up the digested fluids of the insect into their body as their food source. So it's, it's an awesome thing. So start looking up on the YouTube videos and start watching it. It's, it's neat. Mm-hmm. Well, you've painted a very romantic picture of these uh, creatures, Taz. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you say that they're beneficial. Uh, list off some of the benefits before we let you run and have us reconsider our feelings about spiders, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> feelings? Well, you got to watch them. They're awesome. Again, I like spiders. It's just, sorry, I'll stop saying awesome. It's Thursday morning. Um, benefits, again, your backyard. They're going to be killing all those insects that you don't know about, things that want to get into your house. Um, I hate to say it, there's some beautiful things they kill too. They will kill the, the, some butterflies, some moths, the whole bit. But reality is they kill lots of insects that will be bugging you in your backyard. So if you don't mind them in your backyard, let them be and let them live. I'll do my best to let them be. And uh, before we let you go, 20 seconds. Are we seeing more crickets out there? Or is it the same sort of theory? We're just noticing them more because a lot of listeners have texted about that as well. I'm seeing more calls for crickets too. It's just one of those years where people, I think, are more at home and being stuck at home and are noticing problems. Uh, Crickets are just the same thing. They're cleaners. They like to live in the edges, but they are getting into your houses, your crawl spaces. So it's important that you let them live too. But again, I'm a biased guy. I like that things live. Maybe some have to die, but that's just me. (laughs) We'll use the word awesome one more time. Thanks for this time with you, Taz. It's been awesome. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Taz Stewart Poulin's Pest Control. Let them be. 233-2500. To your small town. Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. Just 30 minutes north on Highway 59. Visit southbeachcasino.ca for updates and we've got quite a few places to get to and to say hello to this morning so loren why don't you start us off well this one just came in from donna donna and i want to mention it because it's near my hometown uh home that she wants to give a shout out to is strathclair she hasn't lived there for 40 years no idea what the population is but it can't be more than 400 500 people great people friendly helpful hardworking, fun donna writes she took her kids to visit her parents every summer and it was their version of going to the cabin. Salt Lake is only five miles from town, so it was and still is a great place to spend the day. And as an aside, I just learned about this Salt Lake the other day. It's a it's a super salty lake okay. near Strathclair. Come on. Yes. And I've I was like, not heard so of it. I have a friend from there and I said, so like the Dead Sea? Yes. And what do like, they well, say? I don't know. I've never been to the Dead Sea. And, <laughs> and I live like, I have been to the Dead Sea, but live 45 minutes from Strathclair my whole <laughs> life and I've never heard of Salt Lake. So Donna, Bizarre. tell us more about Salt Lake because uh, she says it's a great place. She also adds one thing my daughter always remembers is to be sure to wave to everyone you meet driving through Strathclair. If you don't do it, people will know you're not from the Strath. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I have a habit of uh, honking at uh, cows on the highway. That's oh. sort of our thing. If we see a, a group of cows, we'll kind of honk the horn. And now if I don't do it, I get a, a hard time from my kids, but uh, sort of a, a maybe a, a similar uh, type of tradition. Uh, Dan says, I grew up in a ghost town called, never heard of this one either, between, uh, Isabella, Manitoba, between Bertle 
and Hamiota in western Manitoba. Hated it as a teenager because we were in the middle of nowhere. But this is what we're seeing increasingly in small town and rural Manitoba. Dan says, I can't wait to retire and go back to help my dad farm. Have a great day, guys. So, Dan, thanks for sharing that with us. And it's always about the people. So another listener texted in to say, I'm from Morden and I'm thankful for FNL. That's Fortified Nutrition Limited, which is an animal nutrition company there. And they write, it has the best employers I've ever worked for. Management and coworkers are super friendly and accommodating. So sometimes you move for jobs, right? And that becomes the reason why you you go to the small town, but then you, you stay there because of the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary says grandparents were from Carmen and we spent lots of time there, even went out yesterday for our annual Siles, Sills, Sills, Sylvester, Sills dinner with my sister and brother-in-law. Sills is great. Great milkshakes out there. And of course, I have to read Rob's. Of course you do. Rob says, my small town is, of course, Minidosa. I was born in Brandon, but from Minidosa. We moved away when I was just starting grade two. We were all around the province, but as soon as I turned 18 and was able to, I moved back to Minidosa. The things I love about Minidosa, closeness to Brandon without having to live there, great schools filled with the best teachers as far as I'm concerned, Rob writes. But the best part is our beach. You don't have to buy a lake cabin to always feel like you're right at the lake. It's a short walk or drive and you're in heaven. I love Minidosa. Speaking of the beach, speaking of the lake and being at a resort, I want to play this. So that's not Rachel McAdams, but it's my Marianne with Will Ferrell. It's the official song from Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. It's on Netflix right now. The movie is not very good, but the music is tremendous. And they reference Husavik, which is in Iceland, but it's also a small town in Manitoba, just south of Gimli. And in fact, that is where my great-great-grandfather farmed when he first came to Canada in the late 1800s. And our listeners are out at a place called Idle Wheels RV Resort. They sent us a great picture of their spot there. And so we want to give a shout out to everyone in the Gimli area, but more and in particular, Husavik, which I think has a population of exactly zero officially, but uh, sort of uh, the Mackling hometown in and, Manitoba. And thank you to our listeners. You've just given me another... Long list of places to get to. Husavik, one of them, and I need to check out this Salt Lake near Strathclair. So thanks for your feedback. As always, 780-6868. That's our small town salute for this Thursday, Greg. Thanks for, as always, your interaction and uh, your celebration of where you live. getting admonished uh, by at least one listener for my view on uh, the Eurovision movie with Will Ferrell. One of our listeners says, I can't help but comment on how you said how bad this movie was. Since I am European, I found it extremely funny for the little nuances of accents and in the actions. The music was fabulous, of course, but it still is a feel-good movie, and I've watched it over and over again. I guess you have to be European to pick up on the jokes. Thanks for that at 7806868. I love the movie. I loved the uh, jokes, I loved the music, but the critics didn't love it. So I'm not a couch potato. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll have to ask Brett McGarry about that uh, film and if he's seen it or not, or Jeff Braun and, and get their official 
take on it. I just know it's been panned. And, well, but you know, know, we're all looking for more things to watch and do these days during this pandemic. You so, don't not watch so, it. So, you know, give, give it a, a shot. try. It's not gonna, you, don't, you have more time on your hands, potentially, you know, right. considering them on where you're coming from. And speaking of time, one o'clock today, Dr. Brent Rusin, our chief public health officer, will be speaking to the media again. These newsers, these news events have gone on different schedules. They were consistent daily, right, for the first few months. And then that shifted in the summer when our caseload dropped. And then they're ramping back up slightly as our caseload rises again. So it's not clear what's in that one o'clock. We don't always know until it comes up. But we always know after some of those big news conferences, like the one yesterday about the fact that masks are now mandated in schools from kids grades four and up, that there are always follow-up questions. And one of the ones I have today is, will the... Will there be additional guidelines for parents and kids on how to put the mask on? Maybe a video, some reference points on, you know, if they can wear it, have to wear it in the homeroom, but maybe not in another class because it all depends on physical distancing. If they set it down on a desk, do they have to get out a new one? You know, when is it clean? How to clean it? Like there's all these questions now. How many masks do I have to send my kid to school with? 400 for one of them for sure. So masks are a big part of the equation. And then, of course, another part of the equation, Greg, is our focus of our next topic. It is. And that's how we start this half hour because the pandemic hasn't been difficult enough on our kids. Cyber bullying continues to be an issue. Will kids face bullying when they go back to school I said to you, you thought uh, cooties was a big deal when you were a kid. How about the kids sing-songing the sing-songing the fact that you have COVID or the Rona, as the kids call it? And I hate to ask it, but will this always be an issue, Loren? Yeah, bullying's a big part of a problem for so many school kids, and and not only is it the COVID question and teasing about that, but masks uh you know will your mask be cool enough will you fit in because of that if you uh, if you cough all the time if you're a kid with asthma and suddenly you find yourself in a situation struggling and then someone says oh like you said oh no he has covid she has covid all sorts of things to go through here so travis price is the co-founder of pink shirt day which really got the conversation rolling on bullying in our schools and he joins us now good morning travis Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks thanks for being with us. I know there's some, some kids who might have enjoyed this break from school because of how they deal with bullying in schools. And so it's been maybe nice to be at home. And we know anxiety ramps up as we head back to school for all sorts of reasons. When you throw COVID into the equation, what's your concern when it comes to bullying? Yeah, I think it's like, uh, you know, kind of like the point that you were touching to there a bit, right? That what does the classroom really look like uh, moving forward? Um, and then the online effect after that, right? Um, Cyberbullying obviously is the most mainstream form of bullying that's, that's being used now. Um, I think the research will still continue to show us that bullying never really increases or decreases. It always just stays consistent, but it's the, the way in which kids bully that affects, uh, you know, these youth, these, these kids. So I do, I'm very fearful for kids going into a school and, you know, letting out a little cough and then people, you know, targeting them for that. Um, and presence as well. Uh, the very foundation being that a student was bullied for wearing a pink shirt, uh, just something that was different that day. Um, what happens when a kid shows up wearing, um, you know, maybe a, a homemade mask that, that's not as cool as the other kids and, and they become a constant target for this. So, I think it's something that we have to do a very good job of, of monitoring as well as uh, educators uh, to try to make sure that we're making this 
not only a safe environment from this virus that 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 is that is very harmful, but also to make sure that uh, that kids aren't being affected by bullying more than uh, more than usual. That's for sure. Travis, I think sometimes we forget how difficult school was for some of us, not for everyone, but for a lot of us. School was a difficult time, and we dealt with different things. And uh, we used to be able to leave it at home, right? You had an issue with somebody, and it's like I'll meet you in the I'll meet you in the uh, in the in the playground at four o'clock or at three thirty, and as long as you got home okay you didn't have to deal with that until tomorrow that's not what kids deal with now uh the, the kids have access to one another 24 7 essentially yeah and that's it right like i think back to like when i was a kid in school like my school sent me home for lunches just because i lived really close so that i wouldn't get beat up at lunchtime and i think back to that that yeah i got to come to a safe place like i got to be safe but now with, you know, the technology, um, it is. It's 24-7. There is no safe place right now. And, um, but the one thing I'll say to that is when I often make that statement, a lot of parents, you see them reaching for their kid's cell phone. I don't blame the technology, though. It's still on us to educate these kids on how to properly use this technology. Like, I think back to when my dad was in school, you know, somebody would take a Sharpie and write on a bathroom stall. We didn't take pens from people. We didn't take that that utensil. So it's the same thing with a phone. We can't just take that away. We have to properly educate them on how to use this and let them know that, you know, uh, on the other end of that phone is somebody with feelings. There's somebody over there that cares, that's reading this, that knows it's about them, that's going to be negatively affected. And and we, we know now, this has been going on long enough now, that we know the repercussions that can come from that. You know, I don't need to say the names of people that have taken their lives for us to understand that this is a very serious issue. And not just deal with the victim, because that's so important to get them to speak up and share how they're hurting, but to, to the bully themselves. The fact that you had to go home at lunch to find a safe place speaks to the fact that that bully should have been better dealt with, and that still goes on, right? We focus on on removing the kid from the problem or taking the phone away rather than dealing with the bully themselves sometimes. A hundred percent, you know, and that's something that I've really focused with Pink Shirt Dan as I partnered with organizations like WITS, you know, we want to support everybody. We want to support the person that's being bullied to make sure that they know they're, they're protected, they're supported, there's help there for them, and they don't deserve this. We want to help the bystanders to let them know that they're the ones with all the power in that situation, that they can, they can shut that down, they can make that bullying stop in 10 seconds or less. But we also want to talk to these kids that are doing the bullying. We want to let them know that, hey, listen, you're making a mistake right now. This isn't who you are. Bullying is a behavior. It's, it's not... You know, I never refer to somebody as a bully because that means that's who they are and they can't change. And this is just a behavior. And oftentimes it is a mistake and it's a, it's a deflection. Maybe they're being bullied themselves. Maybe they're having a tough time at home. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure themselves out as well. Like there's a million different reasons why somebody can be bullied. There's also a million different reasons why somebody can be that bully as well. Travis, uh, promise you'll come back and visit with us again. I can't wait to get back to Winnipeg, get back to the Museum of Human Rights. I love it in there. And um, to all my friends in Winnipeg, make sure you, uh, you stay safe in these times. And I can't wait to see you soon. Appreciate it. Travis Price, he's co-founder of Pink Shirt Day, the website, www.pinkshirtday.org. I hope this next guest brought my back scratcher. I don't know why I assume he has it, but he, I think it annoys him and he's taking it from me. I, it doesn't annoy me at all. Well, I need you it. You don't have it? Have you not been back to Polo Park yet to get it? Yeah, I got it. And I thought I put it, I thought I had it here last week. No. No? No, you've been rubbing your back against crazy <laughs> sharp wall. corners like, and stuff. Like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brett McGarry. Hi there. We're separated by glass yet again. Yep. Are we all going to be together potentially next week? Is there a chance of that for a few days? I still don't think, you know, we're looking at, we like to keep things at a certain occupancy. So I think it comes down to that. It's not just spacing. But I could be wrong. What do I know? Yeah, because one of us can, I'm in the news booth right now and I'm looking at Jeff Forte. I can actually see Jeff Forte through actual glass. I can see you Uh-oh. two through glass, but <laughs> uh, you can't see Forte through the glass. You're looking at him through the monitor. But yeah, theoretically, one of us could be in here. The two, and then the other two can be in the studio with the uh, the rock glass that's in there. So What is that? That's, that's Lorenz, Mike. It's, it's when I get angry. It, it senses it. it goes, <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah, yeah so you're annoying me. So it's Look at that. I've been here for 90 <laughs> seconds and McNabb's already wanting to belt me with the back scratcher. The best part about this spot that it, with you over there, I can't actually see you. Oh, hang on, hang on. So therefore, I don't know there. if you have the old yeah, resting I'm... Brett face oh, going on. Oh, I always on. have the resting Brett no, face. you're smiling because honestly, uh, we all when you take summer vacations, you all usually end up having some part of it that's not as good because of weather or whatever. But no matter whether it's been you, Greg, oh. or Brett or myself, mm-hmm. man, has the weather been good this summer? It's been spectacular. And obviously that ties in very nicely for what you like to do, spending time on the golf course. But I have to ask you, people are talking, we've been talking about spiders this morning, yes. grasshoppers, crickets. Are you encountering more insects and more vicious Looking insects on the golf course? Well, not vicious, although that that spider that Heather uh, posted that you shared this morning, Loren, is one of the most terrifying spiders I've ever seen. But yesterday, the weirdest thing happened at Kingswood. I'm on the third green, and I realized that I was covered, absolutely covered in these tiny, tiny little bugs, like the size of a speck of dust. It looked like I just had dirt on my shoe, and I realized that they were bugs, and they were all over me. I felt like pig pen. And it was just in that one spot... On the entire golf course. Gee oh, do you know what? Did anyone have a clue what they were? I think. What did the, I spoke to the owner after? She said no seam. I think that's what she called. Yeah, it. They, they call that in, in British Columbia no seam. I go. Uh, these are mosquitoes. No seams. <laughs> Give me a break, because BC likes to say that they don't have mosquitoes. But yeah, no seams. I've heard that terminology, and that's a great depiction because that's sort of what they do. They'll swarm around you. They don't really land on you. They just like to be in your orbit. Yeah, and it's kind of like pig pen. Yeah, but they were all over me, all over me. It was just, it was gross. It was kind of scary, but then it was gone. I just wiped them off and you, carried on. Oh, I was going to say, did you kill them? Well, I, I assume so. I mean, when I when you do the white, the full sweep of the leg with the the golf glove, there's got to be some, you know, mm. leftover no seams. When will the Coach Potatoes podcast be up? Oh, uh, it should be out by two p.m. Maybe three. Maybe okay, three. bud. Good okay. to see you. Hang right, on, listen to guys. this again. It's the- my phone. When my phone comes oh, closer to the mic. Look at the tr- the live troubleshooting. Angry sound. Well, I reached for it just now, and then all of a sudden... <laughs> Jeff oh, Forche's going to come right through that glass it's in a second. Be, it's going to be my <laughs> magic trick. But every time uh, Brett and I are going and disagreeing, I'm going to bring in that phone and be like... Okay. And McNabb, a brief visit with... Brett McGarry to uh, get us through the last little bit of our day here as we head towards our weekend. If it's not your weekend coming up, uh, thanks for working through the weekend. People work those odd shifts, uh, odd hours, frontline workers, essential workers. We always like to do our best to remind uh, our listeners, if you're not one of them, to give a tip of your cap to them because it allows us to do the things we like to do on our days off, Loren, people who are working the odd hours. Shop, grocery stores, eat out, anything that uh, you basically leave for the weekend, it means somebody else is not having a weekend. So thank you.
Yeah, so when we celebrate uh, the weekend, uh, just know we acknowledge uh, not everyone gets a quote-unquote traditional weekend. Uh, Far from a traditional celebration for Dale Howarchuk right now. That's how we start our final half hour of the day. Of course, 57-year-old Howarchuk lost his battle with gastric cancer on Monday. True North Sports and Entertainment has erected Howarchuk's banner, which hangs in the rafters at Bell MTS Place at it's now on display in True North Square, and Jeff Kirbyson joins us now. And Jeff has a new book coming out uh, in the next uh, week or so here, Broken Ribs and po- Popcorn. And I'm, I'm shortening the uh, preamble here, Jeff, but essentially it breaks down to this, how the Winnipeg Jets became the best team to not win the Stanley Cup in the NHL's highest scoring era. How good were those Winnipeg Jets teams? Well, the 80... 80- 45 team was a fantastic team uh, for starters that those guys you remember they had six 30 goal scorers which I don't think has, has happened before or since and uh, they went into the playoffs uh, on a 13 game winning streak which was unheard of uh, for the Jets team especially when you think that they'd had that 30 game winning streak just a couple years earlier and then they won the first two games against Calgary and uh, we're on a 15 game winning streak which is crazy and then um then Jamie McCowan got involved and became the most hated man in Winnipeg for all time by breaking Dale Howardchuck's ribs. I'm glad you brought that up because we've, of course, been talking so much about number 10 this week. And in my home after the show yesterday, uh, we were reminiscing with some old videos and I was chatting with my husband and he said, oh, well, did you guys talk about the broken ribs story with Howardchuck? And we never got around to it, I don't think, yesterday. So it's in, it's in the title of your book, Jeff. Share with our listeners a bit about that. Well, it was it, it's it's uh, it's the kind of thing that has lived on uh, forever. It um, I talked to Jamie McCowan about it, and uh, he tells me stories about being in in games, uh, watching junior games in Calgary just a year or two ago, and with a friend of his. And his friend said, uh, "I'm just going to go say hi to my brother. I'll be right back." And he came back, and Jamie said, "Why don't we both go over there and watch the game with your brother?" And he said, "No, no, it's okay. Uh, he's from Winnipeg." So Winnipeggers hold a grudge, and but that was uh, the this this play. Uh, McCallum gave me the play by play on it, and um, the Jets had had the Flames hemmed in their zone for for a long time, and they the Flames finally got it out, and um, and but before McCallum could get to the bench for a change, his defense partner, who he wouldn't tell me who it was, he wouldn't throw him under the bus, uh, gave up the puck, and Howard took him charging back with a full head of steam and McCowan was caught flat footed. And he said, well, I can't start skating backwards. He's just going to go right, right around me. The only uh, chance I had was just try and slow him down with what was accepted at the time as a common play, just a cross check to the arm. And as he went to get, uh, give Howard that cross check while he's standing still, Howard went to jump around him and lifted up his left arm. And McCowan caught him between his pants and his shoulder pads and cracked a couple of ribs, and that uh, Howard Truck, of course, crumbled to the ground. And he wasn't one to try and sell calls. He didn't go down unnecessarily. And But everybody uh, who was watching that game and everybody who was on the bench or the ice knew that it was serious because you, you didn't see Dale Howard Chuck writhing around on the ground. And that the Jets lost that game to end their 15-game winning streak, but they came back and won the next one to put Calgary out of the playoffs. But you knew you weren't going to go up against uh, Gretzky and arguably the greatest team of all time without your best player. 
And isn't that just the tale of the tape, Jeff? The idea that probably the best Jets NHL team was an 84-85 and look at what Oilers team was named the best team of all time uh, in a fan poll and an expert poll just a couple of years ago in the NHL's 100th season. It was, in fact, the 84-85 Oilers and a lot of people believe the Jets could have given that team a run for their money. Well, they still gave them a run for the money without Howard Chuck. That's when you've got other guys uh, seeing opportunities to step up. But it was um, it was a tall order. Right? That that the the Jets uh, throughout the '80s lost uh, 16 games in a row to the Oilers. And um, as much as we all hoped that the, the the Jets could could pull off some kind of miracle, or even that Howard Chuck could come back, he was wearing a flak jacket. In practice, but they uh, they ultimately decided he shouldn't come back because they knew that in that era it wasn't like you could hide where Howard Chuck's injury was, and there would have been a target on his ribs. And within the first couple of shifts, somebody would have given him a whack, and and he would have been he would have been ineffective there. He would have been who could have been re-injured. So uh, yeah, that was that. Uh, if you talk to guys like uh, Kurt Keelback, they'll say that as, as as great as or as close as the Jets were in, in 89-90, being up 3-1 against the Oilers, that 84-85 team had the depth. Uh, they had. Do you remember who the six thirty goal scorers were? Uh, I'm going to say Smale, Boshman, Steen, McLean, Mullen, and Howarchuk. Wow, 10 points for you. That's right. Yeah, they had such a balanced team. And uh, so let's talk about the 1990 team real quick because, uh, of course, we always run out of time. We start talking hockey around here. But the popcorn part of the of the title, that directly uh, goes to, if I'm not mistaken, would have to go to, was it game six in Winnipeg against the Oilers when the Jets were up in that series three games to two? That's right. It's game, game six. The Jets had fallen behind 3 nothing. And what a lot of people might not know or, or remember is that before game six, uh, Coach Bob Murdoch uh, held a power play meeting and he pulled Dale Howard <sighs> off the power play. <clears throat> Sorry, i, I got to turn off my microphone here. I'm going to start growling. Yeah, well, a lot of people will <laughs> be saying a lot of bad words when they, when they remember that. But uh, I know that a lot of the other, like Dale, uh, Dave Ellett, for example, was, was like, are you crazy? What do you think you can't have a power play without... Howard Chuck, it's like, you know, would the Oilers be taking Mark Messi off, that, off their power play? And so the Jets fell behind 3 nothing after the first period, including going over 4 on the power play. And after that, the break, um, Murdoch came by and Howard Chuck and said, uh, hey, Dale, let's, uh, let's get the old power play working again. And Howard Chuck was like, well, I guess so, but <laughs> I missed the last couple of meetings. And uh, anyway, the Jets came back and, uh, and tied it 3-all. In the third period, and the ice had tilted, and the, the the arena was going crazy, and the Jets had all the pressure, and everyone, you just felt that 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 fourth go-ahead goal to put the team away was uh, was coming. And then there was a, a close play at the blue line, and some fan uh, threw his box box of popcorn on the ice, and of course he got to blow the whistle. And this was in the days before ice cleaning teams, so they had to find some. Um, you know, uh, a janitor to be walked out on the ice with a broom and a and a and a dustbin and and to pick up every last kernel. It took a few minutes, and during that time, the Oilers coaches called their players over, calmed everybody down. The air came out of the building, and a couple of minutes later, Yari Curry came down and um, ripped one over Bob Besson's glove, and that that effectively 
uh, ended the series for the Jets because the uh, they went back to Edmonton and, and it, Game 7 wasn't really a, a close one. It sucked the wind right out of the room or it was the turning point or the momentum or whatever you want to say. Did they ever, just as an aside, did they ever found, find the person or name the person? If this was to happen today, that person would have been outed within six minutes of that popcorn going on the ice. Well, Stefan Beauregard uh, said to me, he he's a uh, Winnipeg version of Steve, Steve Bartman, who was yeah. the Chicago Cubs uh, fan who reached over and interfered with a, with a fly ball that Moises Alou was going to catch. Uh, I put out the call a few years ago trying to find this guy, and, and no one could f- remember who it was. And some people say, oh, it's just folklore, but uh, it's it's not. If you talk to – I talked to Barry Schenker about it, and uh, he talks about it as if it happened yesterday. And <laughs> it, it's also uh, – he said it had far more uh, – far-reaching consequences, too, because he said – if uh, we have all the pressure on, we're going to score the next goal. If that if that guy doesn't throw the, po- the popcorn on the ice, we score the next goal. We win game six. We eliminate the Edmonton Oilers out of the playoffs. If we beat the Oilers, and you recall, the Oilers went on to win the Cup that year. I think they only lost two more games the rest of the way. If we beat the Oilers, we win the Stanley Cup. If we win the Stanley Cup, we get a new building. Mm-hmm. If we get a new building... The Jets don't leave Winnipeg. Oh boy! Yeah, so breaking my heart now extra- when you put it like that, Jeff. Well, he's extrapolating a little bit, but you can see how he can think that way because uh, you know one little thing can lead to another, and uh, it's uh, it's it's heartbreaking when you think about it. When you think about the, the Save the Jets campaigns and and just one idiot uh, taking out his frustration in that way uh, could have had. Um, you know, uh, a result that impacted all of us immensely for uh, for many years. Yeah, uh, the cascading ramifications of one individual's actions. Yeah. Jeff, we got to let you run. Where can we get the book? Can we pre-order it? When's it coming out? Well, yeah, it's coming out in a few weeks, and we're we're hold, kind of holding back on the promotion of it because I don't think it's appropriate to uh, to promote it a whole lot right now. We're going to wait till the end of the month, or early September. It can be pre-ordered through McNally Robinson, but we're not going to make a big push on it because um, we're going to let people uh, remember Howard Chuck uh, the way he was, and um, and we'll worry about uh, we'll worry about the book uh, at a later time. Thanks for sharing your stories and your memories with us. Can't wait to to read it. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, thanks, guys. Jeff Kirbyson. The name of the book, in part, Broken Ribs and Popcorn, how the Winnipeg Jets became the best team to not win the Stanley Cup. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.